Well, it's funny. The Valley can really warp uh, what people view as outrageous amounts of money. And so... <laughs> I, Reporters like, who don't make very much money <laughs> regard it as an outrageous amount of money. Yeah, it sounds like an outrageous amount of money. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Jenny Lefcourt dropped out of Stanford Business School to start The Wedding Channel, which she sold for millions. She's now a seed investor at San Francisco's Freestyle Venture Capital. So you went to three schools, Wharton, Stanford Business School, and Circus School. Yes. I'm actually most impressed by Circus School. Tell me about Circus School. So Circus School was something that I did actually before I went to uh, Stanford Business School. And it was this opportunity where I'd stopped working and knew I had this gap. And what do I want to do? What's interesting to me? And I'm actually oddly flexible. And a friend of mine was taking trapeze there. And so I went for a week and I worked on my contortion. And then I did some follow-up workshops after that. But I could curl up in a ball and get myself like hidden in a tiny trunk. <laughs> and have you done this professionally? It was oddly rewarding. <laughs> okay. Have you done this professionally at all? No, no. No, I haven't done it professionally. I, party pull, trip? I was going to say, I'll pull it out at a party every now and again <laughs> just to impress people. Um, it can show itself in a good yoga class sometimes, but that's about it. Uh, but it's one of those things that we put on the website, and it's funny to me how many people comment on it and have questions about it. Yeah. You graduated from Wharton. You graduated more or less from circus school. I assume you got a certificate. I, did. I didn't get a certificate, but my okay. flexibility was the grad. Yeah, you have a degree. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> you dropped out of Stanford Business School. And to, to start a very successful company. Tell me about that. Yeah, so it was um, before it was the hip thing to do. No one was dropping out of uh, business school. You were just thrilled to be in uh, such an amazing place. 
And um, I was interested, actually, in venture capital at the time. And um, there was this opportunity to write a business plan and get feedback from VCs. And I, that sounded great to me. So it wasn't part of a class. It was an extracurricular activity. And I'd seen a woman um, by the name of Jessica Heron who was at similar events that I was at. So I went up to her and I said, hey, do you want to work on a business plan with me? And she said, yeah, well, do you have any ideas? And I said, I do. And I gave her an idea of an aggregated gift registry and her mouth fell open. She said, I wrote a business plan for that about a year ago. So we got together and we started working on it. It was purely as a fun project. Um, I'd love to tell the story about how we all were gathered at the end uh, where you, they announced the winners and we were one of the winners and all the winners were brought up on stage and the stage was super crowded and you looked down and there was no one left in the audience. And we're <laughs> like, that's Northern California Stanford where every, everyone's a winner. So we won, but we were not alone. Um, but we got great feedback from VCs and then after break, one of the VCs reached out to us and said, hey, where are you guys on this? Because I actually think this has true legs. And from that point on, second semester of our first year, we almost weren't in class. If we were in class, we were there physically, but not mentally. And we were working nights, weekends, during, the, you know, skipping classes to, to keep working on our business idea. And every meeting led to another meeting, which led to another meeting. And by the end of that first year, we had funding from Kleiner Perkins and, you know, went to the dean of the school to say, hey, this is basically why we came here. It happened earlier than we expected. But we need to pursue this. And if it doesn't work, it was a million dollars of financing. We had some things we had to prove. We would love the opportunity to come back. And at the time, he said, well, that, that you won't be welcome back. Because if you, if you, if you want to come back, it's because you failed. And we don't want failures here. It was a very shocking uh, response, which has since been taken away. And they have welcomed us with open arms. And we go back and we speak. And that, you know, it was a culture change. And it was sort of a shock to have him have students come to say, hey, we're going to leave early. Yeah, you can't make Stanford uh, Business School your safety. No, exactly. Yeah. And it, he didn't appreciate it. He had never heard anything quite like it. And I understand it was totally different times. And his point of view, if, if, if it's a great business opportunity, it will be there in a year. And we said, it's dot-com days. And if, if we don't do this, someone else will do it. And retailers going to sign up with one. They're not going to sign up with a bunch. And so we, it was actually one of those things that people constantly ask, was that one of the hardest decisions you ever made? It's like, no, it was actually really, really simple because, I mean, it, that's as good as it gets. We used to joke, we don't dream this good, you know? And so we went there for that. We thought that would one day lead, happen in our future. It just happened sooner than expected. And you sold, uh, it was a wedding channel, right? Wedding channel, yeah. You sold wedding channel for just an outrageous amount of money. Well, it's funny. The Valley can really warp uh, what people view as outrageous amounts of money. And so <laughs> reporters I, like, who don't make very much money <laughs> regard it as like, an outrageous amount of money. Yeah. It sounds like an outrageous amount of money. Uh, How much but, was yeah, it? So, well, we sold it for 90 million, which it, but in the Valley, you right. know, it, it almost seems adorable, uh, in these days, but we were, we were very pleased, but we also, you know, to be totally honest, um, and I did this, uh, with, I would say my second company even more so, but you also have to be careful when you capitalize your business of how 
much capital goes in because then the bar goes higher of what's expected to come out and what's deemed to be a good return. And so I think a lot of times people in the Valley, outside of the Valley, get so focused on that sort of the, the, the number that you sold it for. But you also have to think about how much capital went into the business. And so I guess, um, you know, I don't mean to poo-poo what we did. It was incredible. We built a, a, we built something over 20 years ago that's literally still being used today. Um, and I think that that is incredible. And the fact that we produced a return for our investors and made money ourselves is incredible. But you also uh, have to be careful that you don't overcapitalize your businesses. And I think both of the two first businesses that I started, um, maybe, you know, the positive side is that I was really good at raising venture capital. And the negative side is I was a little too good at raising venture capital. Because you ended up with less with, for yourself. Yeah, by exactly. The, time the you cap table. Out. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so I think that it's something that people really should think through when they're bringing on venture capital. I think that the, a lot of times the mantra is like the more, more is better, higher valuation, better, more is better. And it's like not always the case because what happens is as you raise more and as your valuation gets higher, your optionality of what is considered a good exit actually starts to get smaller. And so as someone you want as, as an entrepreneur, you want as many options for success. And the higher you bring that valuation, the more you raise the capital, the more you had better have uh, the outcome be massive. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You are a seed investor. I, why isn't everybody a seed investor? Because it seems to me walking around with, and I'm just going to use a, a random number, $100 bills, handing out $100 to everybody really early is a better bet than handing $10 million to somebody really late. It's like putting all the chips on all of the numbers in roulette. You know what I mean? But only a buck a chip, as opposed to pushing all of your chips on red, you know, as the wheel's spinning. 
Well, I mean, the difference between coming in at seed and the coming in much later is how much data you, you have to react, right? So the prices are less, but you have very little information to work from. So you're going to be wrong a hell of a lot more than if you come in later. So back to your chip analogy, when I put a chip down, I have to be really comfortable with loss aversion, right? That there's a really... A, that I you're going to lose a, most of them. I'm yeah. going to lose most of my chips, right? And so uh, I, even as I say that, I feel uncomfortable saying, that out loud. <laughs> it hasn't shown itself yet. I know it to be true, and I know that it is VC math. But yes, I am supposed to lose most of my chips and then have the ones that hit be massive. Um, but the truth is, there is beauty to holding back all your chips, seeing a lot of information, and putting your chips on a sure thing, right? And so if you can 3x a boatload of chips, that's not a bad place to be either. And so the thing at seed is, with very little information, you have to believe that either your gut, your, you know, the value add, the, your selection of entrepreneurs, the ideas, what you view as macro trends and what's needed in the future, that you're good enough at that, and what we call the art phase versus the science phase, that you're going to pick well. Um, and the ones that do work, that don't just be or have to not just be okay, they have to be fantastic. So what about seed attracts you to it? So what attracts me to seed is that's where, if I'm good at anything, I'm good at seed. And so I've been good at taking ideas and, you know, raw people and raw ideas and turning them into something. And I call that the art phase. You're figuring it out, right? And you're trying to figure out, uh, hopefully you're obsessing on a problem. And you know this problem is big and massive and sort of the, the prize of solving it is, 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 is worthy. Um, and you're going to make a ton of mistakes and you're going to figure it out and you're in the lab. And so I call it the art phase. And I feel like I have so much value to add in that art phase. When you're more into the rinse and repeat, meaning we have got it, now we need to scale this thing. I've never done that. I can't fathom looking an entrepreneur in the eyes and saying, I can help you from, you know, getting from 20 million to a billion because I don't know how to do that. And so I've never done that. I don't have expertise to add to that. And so what's really important to me, and I think important to any founder looking for capital, is whoever you bring in should be smart, hardworking capital. And they should honestly make a difference in the outcome. But it's not the same investor for every stage. So, you know, I had a tremendous impact. My first investment at Freestyle was in a company called Narvar. And Am and I were closely together. And I have no doubts that I added a tremendous amount of value to that business. Now, if I go to the board meetings, I listen. And I listen to the other VCs who are around the table and the other executives and Ahmed himself, who has grown exponentially, and I'm now learning. So I think you have to understand who's going to add value and at what part in your in your journey. I think there are young startups who don't understand that. They think, uh, well, it doesn't matter who we get the money from. Uh, as you said, maybe not even getting a lot of money is a good idea. But it does really matter what firm you go with and, what, and at what stage, uh, that they are going to fit what you need. That's absolutely right. And I think that having the right capital from the right partner matters so much. And when if I see mistakes being made in the world that I'm living in right now, it's people not believing that and say, oh, VCs think they add value. They add no value. No, there are a lot of VCs and we do. There are a number of us who add so much value. And if you're an entrepreneur who d isn't seeking that, to some extent, it feels like you're, you're going to fail the IQ test a little bit in that if you think I've got it, I know exactly what to do. All I need is capital. You're probably not 
uh, someone who has a growth mindset, who wants to learn and evolve and, and be the best and make your company the best it can be. So in a way, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've done about 20 of these interviews, and a recurring theme is it's people, not ideas. And you say it as missionaries outperform resumes, uh, that it is the team that, that is going to matter even sometimes more than the idea itself. Yeah, because the, the idea itself, first of all, I like to, um, I like working with founders who are obsessed with the problem because the actual idea, if you get too fixated on the idea that needs to be, if and when it's not working, you're going to have trouble, um, you're going to have trouble figuring out what to do. If you're obsessed with the problem, then you're going to try many solutions and then you'll find the right the right solution for that problem. So another mantra of mine that I don't think I've blogged about, but if you speak to any of my founders, you'll hear that I say it over and over again, is purpose before action. Purpose before action. Because you have to understand, what am I trying to solve? Before I start going off to the races, hiring and building, you first need to understand, what am I trying to solve? And then work backwards to figure out the smartest way to solve the problem. In 2018, 12% of U.S. venture dollars went to teams with a female founder. And this confounds me because don't people just want to make money? I mean, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. I realize it does somewhere matter. But if you just want to make a lot of money, go with the great ideas. And why would you care who the person is? So, of course, I feel the same way. And for so long, I actually couldn't believe that that these numbers existed. So when I started Inventure, and now that's five and a half years ago, people were telling me about the problem and women and not women not getting as much as the venture much of the venture capital. And um, there aren't that many VCs who are women. And I was like, venture capitalists don't care. You could be like, you could be a three foot purple person. If you made them money, they will love you. And so I kind of couldn't believe this to be true. Um, And then you look at the data and you look at the data and you look at the data and you're like, okay, if I, you know, from anything in the Valley, I I believe in data, right? And it's there. So then you have to say, well, why? Because I think those two things are true. One, the data doesn't lie. And then two, People just care about making money. I really believe that. So then why does this exist? And I think the disconnect, I think, stems from unconscious biases. So the question is, is there a framework, right? Is there a pattern recognition that we're all doing where we think there's a certain type, a way of presenting, dressing, speaking that we think equals money? And so I think there's unconscious biases that we all have, men and women, um, that, uh, that there's a type that makes us money. And so I think that's why you feel, you know, especially at seed stage where so much is happening from your gut, right? Because you don't have information. There's a reason why you believe in this person. And so I think that is more likely going to sort of let unconscious biases really take hold. And so I think everyone questioning that and just being aware of the situation in and of itself will help the situation. And I think there are a lot of people, once again, men and women who are starting to understand that more, getting trained on it, reading it, because we all need to understand what our blind spots are for making money. And so this is one of them. This is not a gotcha question because you already know this is the case. But as I go through some of the seed stage, Nine Gag, Cameo, Embark, French Girls, Giftbit, Kite, etc. And I look at the people, the founders, it's Jan, Luca, Carter, Ryan, Adam, Adam, Andrew, Christopher, Leaf, Peter, Trond. I had to look up to see if that was a man or a woman. It's a man. Uh, John, Josh, Aaron, etc. 
Um, what happened there? Because you feel passionate about making sure that, that women have a, you know, a, a opportunity to get venture capital. But not very much of it does. In Pick Collage, it did. Well, so first of all, you're going back to investment. So when Freesale was founded, it was founded 10 years ago, and some of the portfolio companies even came with angel investments Josh and Dave made. So if you go to when I joined five years ago, and by the way, Josh invests in more women than I have. So it's not, I'm not saying that they don't, but you're going back to super duper early days where I don't even think they were questioning who the, who the executive team is. But five years ago, you know, my first investment was in Ahmed who, by the way, is an Indian man, and I'm a, you know, I'm a white Jewish girl, <laughs> and so I would argue that there is diversity in that relationship. The second uh, person I backed is Karen at Nestio, um, and so, and that's a, a woman, and so when I could go on with the list, the last investment I just made is in two women who brought on a, a man as their CTO. So I think if you look at Freestyle's portfolio, and we do the math on our portfolio, I think about 30% of the investments we've made, at least in the last five years, have been to underrepresented group. So that could be women, people of color, et cetera. Um, and so we are here to make money. LPs give us money and our jobs are to create the greatest return with our LPs money. Um, but what's important to us is that we do it the right way and, and we do it in a way that feels authentic to who we are. And so there's no way that we're going to make an investment because it's from a underrepresented group who's who's leading. However, we have to check our own unconscious biases and also check our own networks and make sure we're we're searching in the right networks. So when I looked at my numbers, I um, felt like I could do better. And so what I started doing is top of the funnel, seeking out different groups. So rather than attending YC, and actually YC may be very diverse, so I take that back. But I really get where you're going seeking, with this. Yes. In the same way I tell my founders, if you want to be diverse, you don't just see who throws the resume in and pick from there. You have to be very thoughtful about it, and you sometimes have to go out and seek for what you're hoping comes in. And so I've been doing the same with my network. And so there are seeds, uh, pre-seed VCs who I know um, work with a lot of underrepresented groups, and I've asked them specifically and, and told them what I'm you know, aiming to do. But never, ever am I uh, confused about, first and foremost, I am here to make my LPs financially successful. I think there is that. I have this network. It looks a lot like me. Yeah. Uh, and as best I try, it's not until I go out of network, I take a step to get out of the network, then I find the people that maybe are not as well represented. That is exactly right. And and I would also just add to that that I am a believer in diversity for all the right reasons. And there are some people who just believe it is right, right? And I agree with that. But I'm truly motivated by the, the bottom line, right? And I believe that diverse teams, I know, it's not even I believe. It's scientific. It is proven. scientific. It is proven that diverse teams make better decisions. And there's enough data to show that that leads to profitability or sustainability. And it makes total sense sense. Think about it. If you're building Uber or you're building Airbnb, you want your product used by all different types, right? You're not building it for yourself or for your own network. You want everyone under the sun using your product. Well, you need everyone then represented within the company to sort of have that point of view and have that lens to bring to the table. And so 
I feel like I, I don't want to just pattern match. And so Jenny should work with women and Josh and Dave should work with men. That actually goes against what I believe in sort of the power of diversity. And so I think I've actually added more value sometimes to my male founders because I'm often able to be that voice of diversity. Now, I think I can add to my female founders as well, but I think that we shouldn't underestimate true diversity. One of the theories behind this podcast is this idea that Sand Hill Road as uh, a concept, uh, venture capital in general, is one of the most important components of the success of Silicon Valley that people outside of Silicon Valley don't understand. They think it's, you know, the, the access from Stanford and from Cal, or they think it's just tradition, or it's the coolness of San Francisco. And as they try to build their own Silicon Valley in North Carolina or in Chicago or wherever else in Scotland, they're missing the venture capital part of it. Why does venture capital spend so much money interior to Silicon Valley when money can move all over the world? Is it because all the great ideas come here or is it because the money starts here and the great ideas then come here? It seems circular. Yeah, I mean, it is circular. It's a virtuous cycle to some extent. And so I think that what we're seeing is, is first of all, remember that venture capital isn't just capital, right? It's capital with a network, with connections, with pattern recognition. And so the people who are writing the checks are the people meeting amazing people every day. And truly, I don't go through a day where I don't come up with a connection or an idea or something to help one of my portfolio companies. So it's in those circles that you're running where the check riders are often the inspiration or getting connected to incredible people who can help the companies, and that cycle continues. So what we are seeing, though, is there is incredible talent outside of the Bay Area, without question. And to some extent, there's some beauty to it because there's a tax for being in the Bay Area. It's really hard to recruit top talent. It's hard to keep top talent. The rents are high. The cost of living is high. It's noisy, right? There's a there's an event you can go to every single night. And that's distracting if a company just wants to kind of attract great people, be on their mission, get great work done, keep your heads down and carry on to the next day. And so what we're seeing a lot of our companies doing is they have a toe somehow here in the Bay Area. Maybe this is where headquarters is, but their development shop is offshore or in Milwaukee or, you know, their BDRs, their uh, inside salespeople are in Arizona or in Utah. So I think what you're starting to see is companies taking a sort of a best in breed. Like I recognize that there's something magic that happens in the Bay Area, and I want that for my company, but I also want to be able to hire three inside salespeople for the price of one and not have it be noisy, so I'm going to do that over there. So I think you're starting to see a lot of creative quilting going on of how companies are being built. Some people, I think, think that the Valley has no value to add, and it doesn't matter at all. I obviously disagree, as I'm here. Um, but I understand this sort of surgical approach to say, what part can I cut out so that my company has the best chance of being successful? My last question to you is if somebody were to come through the door with an idea, what idea have you been hoping for? Something that, and I, you, yeah. where you say, yeah, I've been waiting for somebody to come through and say, I'm going to fix this. It's a great question. You know, there are times where I am uh, hungry for that, and I kind of know an area that I'm interested in. Um, 
and and but usually if I know what it is, I put it out to the world, and then I start seeing. You know, I tell I, I could put it out on Twitter. I tell my VC friends. Right, yeah, or I tell my be, entrepreneurs. Yeah, and then and then, it, yeah. and then and then it starts coming in. Um, right now, I would say an area that I'm really it's an area, and I don't know the problem solution, but that's what the founders are so good at is uh, is uh, bringing the problem and solution to us. But I do really believe in what we were just talking about of how you're going to have distributed teams. And with distributed teams comes a whole new uh, network and infrastructure that needs to happen so that you produce the greatest work coming out of these distributed teams. And so how are they supported? And you're seeing tons of tools that do this today in communication, but I think we're going to see more and more. And so I'm starting to see, as I've been interested in that area, um, I'm starting to see a lot more business ideas, whether that's with better conferencing. And I mean, Zoom's done such a great job, but I think that it's the beginning and not the end. Next week on the podcast, Rebecca Lynn from Canvas Ventures. I am not the target market. What matters is what the consumers think. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.